You know, the word, the word hallelujah is so familiar to us. And yet, in Scripture, it appears rarely. It appears in two sets of psalms in the fifth book of the Psalter and maybe four or five other places as far as the Scripture is concerned. And Yah is an abbreviation for Yahweh. And it would appear, a little bit of conjecture on my part, but it would appear that the Hebrew used that because it became an easy expression. Instead of saying, praise the Lord Yahweh, it became hallelujah. Instead of Yahweh, Yah. And the interesting thing is, if you're a believer, it doesn't matter what language you speak throughout the world. It does not matter what language you speak throughout the world. The expression hallelujah among Christians, no matter what language they speak, is always hallelujah. Dr. Palmer Robertson makes the observation, and Palmer's a good friend, so I chuckle a little bit because this is also conjecture on his part, but he has more credentials to make bigger conjectures than I do. And uh, Palmer suggests, if you think about the word, it just explodes from your mouth. I mean, you can't say it, hallelujah. I mean, it just comes out, hallelujah. I mean, your whole mouth is used, your jaw drops, everything uh, is used in the expression of that word of praise. And one of the things that binds us together throughout this world as brothers and sisters in the Lord is that no matter who we are, no matter what our culture may be, no matter what language we may speak, together we all shout, hallelujah. Together we all shout, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's a great word. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We continue in our study. Hopefully you've read Genesis 39. I would simply let you know that next week we will be looking at Genesis chapter 40. And again, I'm encouraging you to read all of 37 through 50. Become very familiar with what the scripture says But let me read for you here in Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. 
So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, ladies, you'll like this next expression. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us, she, he came in to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let's pray together. Father, open to us this portion of your holy word. Teach us your truths and lead us in the way everlasting. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was graduating from seminary, I candidated at a church, and they chose not to call me. Well, with the arrogance of youth, I was stunned, and I was frustrated. 
But now I can look back over the years and clearly discern the Lord's purposes. I have to wonder about Joseph, now a slave. Is he able to discern the Lord's purposes? I mean, does he stop and think about his two dreams and perhaps conclude that that's exactly what they were? Dreams. And so what about you? Can you look back and discern the Lord's hands in the unfolding events of your life? Are you able in your present circumstances? Circumstances that for some of you may be at this moment terribly difficult. Are you able to see his hand at work even at this moment in time? As his child, having by grace through faith embraced him as your Savior, Lord, and King, his hand is upon you, even if you have no clue what he's doing. He loves you with a love that will never let you go. He has been and he is at work in your life for the sake of his glory and for your temporal and eternal welfare. And that is true both in good times and in times that don't seem so good, such as when you find yourself a slave in the house of a high Egyptian official. But now look at these scriptures. Look at verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Look at verse 3. The Lord was with him. Look at verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. Look at verse 23. The Lord was with him. Now let me tell you something interesting. As you read Genesis 37 through 50, this is the last time that the name of the Lord, Yahweh, this is the last time that the name of the Lord will appear in this story until you get to the 49th chapter. I would suggest that what you're told here in Genesis 39, it sets the stage for the rest of the story because throughout the rest of the story, the Lord will be with Joseph and with his family, weaving together the events of their lives to further his salvific purposes, to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to Isaac that he would bless all manner of people throughout the world, that he would bless all people. How? Through this family, through this, as we've talked about, this disturbingly dysfunctional family. His grace and his mercy will cover all the sins of Jacob's family, even as his blood covers a multitude of our sins. Now, in Genesis 37, just to remember how dysfunctional this family is, Genesis 37, Joseph's a spoiled brat, his brothers are heartless. In Genesis 38, Judah, Joseph's older brother, Jacob's fourth son, Judah proves to be an adulterer. But never forget that as you come to the end of the 38th chapter, 
In Genesis 38:26, Judah acknowledges and confesses his sin. Now, what took place in Genesis 38 covers approximately a period of some 20 years. Well, the events of Genesis 39 through 46 take place during approximately these same 20 years. And they reveal in stunning fashion the Lord's salvific purposes for Jacob's family, purposes that some 1,900 years later will lead to Jesus, will lead to Jesus being born of the line of Judah the adulterer and born of the line of Perez, Judah's illegitimate son. The grace of God covers a multitude of sins. In Genesis 39, Joseph is in Egypt. He's the slave of Potiphar, an important government official, the captain of the guard. And Joseph is a slave, but remember you're told in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. And graciously, immediately, the Lord's grace ordains, and this is really important, it ordains that Joseph is assigned the position of a household slave, a household slave, instead of a field hand. And that's an important distinction. And then as Joseph diligently and skillfully fulfills his duties, you're told in verse 3 that Potiphar saw, this is an interesting statement here, that Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. I don't think that means that Potiphar believed in Yahweh, that he believed in the Lord, that he believed that the Lord was the one true God. I think it simply means that Potiphar acknowledged that he took note of the fact that that Joseph's commitment to his God, whoever that God might be as far as Potiphar was concerned, that Joseph's commitment to his God was proving profitable for Potiphar. So in verse 3, you're told that Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. Potiphar is so pleased with Joseph's diligence and abilities, he assigns him the duty of being the overseer of Potiphar's household. And because of Potiphar's attitude towards Joseph, you're told in verse 5 that the Lord blessed Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And that's interesting because remember, Just a few generations earlier, the Lord promised Abraham, Abraham, those who bless you, those who bless you, I will bless. And Potiphar's household is being blessed. So, let me dare to ask, Do those you work with acknowledge that your professed love for the Lord profoundly and positively impacts the way in which you go about fulfilling 
your responsibilities, as was true in regards to Joseph. My dad would tell me when I left the house to be with friends or to go to work, my dad would say, son, remember who you are and whose you are. Remember who you are and whose you are. I can, it just rings in my ears. That was, that was and that is good advice. And I beg you to remember that for many, you may be the only picture they have. You may be the only picture they have of who this Jesus is that you claim to be your Lord and King. Now in verses 6 through 9, you're told that, that uh, Potiphar's wife, she, she sees that, that, that Joseph is handsome in form and appearance and proceeds to repeatedly attempt to seduce him. But you're told that Joseph repeatedly refuses her advances. Joseph tells her, I will not betray my master, and I most certainly will not betray my God. Now, you've got to understand the culture here. It's a familiar, the aspect, this, this aspect of Egyptian culture is quite familiar to us. You've got to understand that sexual promiscuity was a common feature of slave culture just as was true during our own bleak history of slavery. But Joseph flatly refuses to be seduced. He's a young, strong, good-looking young man. He's experiencing all the normal sexual urges that we all experience, but it seems clear that Joseph had been taught as a boy that the ways of God we're not meant to cheat him from having a good old time. But instead, we're given to him by the Lord to free him to live the best of all possible lives. I mean, the law, you understand here, historically, the law will not be codified for another 400 years. But, Joe, but, but, but God's law is written upon Joseph's heart. His love for and his trust in the Lord is made obvious by his determination to live a life pleasing to his Lord and King. And further, you gotta, you, you gotta think about this. Further, it has to be clear that that long before Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce him, Joseph had already settled this matter in his heart. He, he didn't come up with his response to Potiphar's wife in the heat of the moment. Long before he determined, as he tells her, I will not do such great wickedness and sin against my Lord. He didn't think that up at the moment. That was already a commitment of his life. As we will be taught, as will be taught in 2 Timothy 2.22, Joseph determined to flee youthful passions 
to pursue righteousness and to live in faithful obedience to the Lord. Our culture is driven by sex just as has been true of every culture that ever existed. I promise you there is nothing new under the sun. Today, sexual relations outside of marriage not considered taboo. And our culture sugarcoats having sex with whomever and wherever we choose. Sugarcoats it by calling it making love. Well, let me tell you, acting upon such sexual impulses is nothing more than behaving like dogs in heat. Now listen to me. I am not a fuddy-duddy. I want to tell you, sexual pleasure is a good thing. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, that wasn't too enthusiastic. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God. But because God loves you, he gives you his law concerning sexual intimacy. He doesn't give you his law to cheat you. He gives you his law to set you free to live the best possible life. He lovingly protects you from the heartache that you see all around you by teaching you that sexual intimacy is for the pleasure of a husband and wife lovingly and covenantally committed to one another. Amen. Believe that. And I weep for you, especially for many of you who are younger, because you live in the midst of a culture that is just crazy. A culture that embraces a blatant lie to its own destruction. Well, Joseph knows all this, and he flees from Potiphar's wife. But then in verse 11, as Joseph is fulfilling his responsibilities in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife apparently has made certain no one else is in the house except the two of them, and she tries to seduce him, and again he resists, but this time she grabs Joseph's outer garment as he flees from her presence. And now, holding Joseph's garment in her hand, she calls for the other servants to come, and she accuses Joseph of, Joseph of trying to rape her. Three times she insists that she cried out in terror, but no one heard her. Hmm. Hmm. The servants hear her when she calls for them to come to her, but yet she claims no one could hear her cry for help when Joseph attempted to rape her. That's strange. And when Potiphar arrives, she shows him Joseph's garment. She repeats the same story. She insists she's innocent. And then she blames Potiphar for bringing this Hebrew slave into our house. In verse 19, Potiphar reacts angrily. Now again, a little speculative on my part, but at least take note of the fact that you're not told with whom he's angry. 
I mean, he may be angry with his wife. He may be angry at the thought of losing Joseph's services. He may, of course, be simply angry with Joseph. But this we know. And it's really important. What Potiphar does is, has, is have Joseph imprisoned. Now, that's interesting because what do you think the usual punishment would be for a slave accused of attempting to rape his master's wife? What do you think the usual penalty would be? Death. No ifs, ands, buts, or maybes. But instead of putting Joseph to death, Potiphar puts him in prison. And it's not just any prison. Look at verse 20. He places Joseph in the prison that is reserved and inhabited by the high officials of the Egyptian government. It's not just any common jail. It's a special jail, which may, may, it may tell you something. It may, it may tell you something about Potiphar's judgment of what really happened between Joseph and his wife. So here's Joseph in prison. Immediately you're told in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph, showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Steadfast love, we've mentioned this many times. The Hebrew word is hesit, very important word in the Old Testament scriptures, usually interpreted for us as faithful love. It, 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 it's a word which speaks of the love of a covenant-keeping God for his covenant people. And Joseph is God's man. God is with him. Despite being hated by his brothers, in, in spite of being sold into slavery, in spite of being falsely accused of rape, instead of being imprisoned, despite all of that, the Lord is with him. Just as he is with you. You believe that? I have to wonder how clearly Joseph understood that. I mean, we all face circumstances that make us wonder where God is and what he is doing. A child is terribly sick, a sister is struggling with her own issues. What's God doing? I can't tell you, but I can tell you this. The Lord is with you, just as he was with Joseph. And here now as a prisoner, Joseph quickly finds himself elevated to the position of being in charge of all the other prisoners. In verse 22, you're told that the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. And why was that? Because you're told the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now, let's just take a deep breath. I mean, just how many ups and downs are there in Genesis 37 
through 39. Daddy's favorite, stunning dreams, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, made overseer of Potiphar's household, accused of rape, thrown into prison, and now placed in charge of all the other prisoners. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Can you imagine? Perhaps you can. Perhaps you can. Perhaps you know what it is to have ups and downs impact your life, your family, your friends. I mean, who of us hasn't had such ups and downs? I know it's hard to believe looking at this old man, but I was once a shortstop, a really good shortstop, right? Right, Linda? Yeah. She saw me. Well, I always found it challenging when the batter popped up a ball that threatened to fall between me and the in-racing outfielder. And the words I always loved to hear was the outfielder yell, I got it. I got it. I got it. Believer, despite all the ups and downs of life, I want you to hear the Lord shout, I've got it. Believer, the Lord is with you. It may take a while, but one day, like me, you'll look back over years and see clearly that his purposes and timing were just what you needed for you to become the man or the woman, the boy or the girl that he intends for you to be. So for now, trust him and honor him and love him and obey him. And for all eternity, you'll be glad you did and you'll rejoice in sharing with others what the Lord was doing in your life, even in the midst of circumstances that at the moment you just didn't begin to understand. And as we'll see next week, Joseph's life will continue to have its ups and downs. But the Lord will be with him as he is with you. So believer, I want you to hear the Lord shout. I got it. I'm with you. Always. Even until the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, teach us these profound truths. Encourage us and lift up our hearts. May we hear your shout. May we look to you with confidence, even in the midst of circumstances, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of heartache, that just sometimes leave us feeling like we're walking around in a blue fog. Father, may we know that you are with us. May we hear your shout, I've got it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's...